0: Welcome to the IVF Before and After podcast where we will talk about the emotional roller coaster journey we are about to embark on. Tune in to a series of podcasts on stories and tips to help you feel you are not alone on your fertility or parenting journey. We will openly discuss success and failure. We will attempt to pick you up when you are down and celebrate when your head's in the clouds. Kay Dempsey is your host who can't wait to get started finding your way through IVF and parenting journey.
1: Thank you for coming back to listen to the next episode. I do hope you're enjoying the post so far, and if there's anything you would like for me to talk about, um, please just drop me a line in either of the review section of the podcast or private message me over at the IVF Before and After Facebook. Today I was going to talk about another fertility issue, but I thought I would Change my mind as I want to share an experience that I went through regarding meditation. And this story will show you the extremes that I as a person went to was regarding my fertility. I started with the meditation going on a an eight-week course um, for mindfulness, and then I started doing the an art of living. It was called, it was a book, and in this book it was telling you that everyone seeks peace and harmony, because this is what we lack in our lives from time to time. We'll all experience agitation, irritation, disharmony, and when we suffer from these miseries, we don't just keep them to ourselves, we often distribute it to others. And how do we do that? Well, Unhappiness fills the atmosphere around us. So someone like who me at the time was I was miserable. And those who I came in contact with, they also became affected. Absolutely, this is not a skillful way to live. We ought to live at peace with ourselves and at peace with others. After all, we're human beings, we're social beings. We're having to live in a society and Deal with each other, good or bad. How are we to live peacefully? How are we to remain harmonious within and maintain all that peace and harmony around us so that everyone else can live with all this peace? I felt that quite hard to grasp at first because I didn't see that I was miserable because I didn't think not having a child I was pushing everything else on to being everyone was miserable. I just didn't see that. So the book also went on to to tell me, in order for me to relieve any of this misery that I had, I had to know the basic reason for it, the cause of all my suffering. So you were to investigate the problem, and then it would become clear whether we were to start generating any negativity or impurity in the mind we are all bound to become unhappy. So in other words, a negative in the mind is a mental impurity which cannot coexist with peace and harmony. So how do we start just generating this negativity? Again, you were told to investigate it and it will become clear. We become unhappy when we find someone else is behaving in that way. We kind of become unhappy and we don't like it. But we don't see that we do that to other people. Then you kind of generate this kind of thing of everything that's unwanted seems to happen to you. We create this tension within. And then there's all these obstacles coming the way and again we create this tension and we start start tying knots within us tying knots around our life. All these unwanted things keep attracting to our life. It keeps happening. And this process of reaction was called, is it Gordian knots? So it makes the entire mental and physical structure come very tense and full of negativity. That life is completely miserable or just tied up in these knots. Now, one way to solve this problem is to kind of rearrange that nothing unwanted happens in your life, that everything keeps on happening exactly as we desire. So again, it's what do we dream? What do we want? Think about it. We don't want all this negativity in us. But we hold on to negativity because sometimes that makes us feel a better person. We feel happier. So either we develop power or someone else will come in and aid us. But they have to have that power to see that these unwanted things don't happen and that everything we want happens. It's kind of impossible, isn't it? I don't think there's anyone in the world whose desires are always fulfilled and whose life everything happens according to our our wishes without anything unwanted which we don't want happening along the way. I just couldn't see that all good things could be in front of me without all the bad negatives coming in. So how can we stop reacting blindly? when confronted with things that we don't like? How can we stop creating tension and remain peaceful? The book, The Art of Living, was wrote by an Indian chap. And over in India, the wise person in the past has studied this problem, the study of human suffering. And they feel they find a solution. And if something unwanted happens and you start to react by generating anger, fear or any negativity, then as soon as possible, you should divert your attention to something else. A bit like, up off the seat, take a glass of water, start drinking it and your anger won't multiply. Or it will begin to subside away or when there's negativity coming into you and you're angry, start counting one, two, three, four. Or start repeating a word or a phrase or a mantra. If anyone's listening who is very religious, you'll be able to use one of your chants, divert it into you. They say that this solution would be helpful, it would work, and they say, To this day, it still works. But why do we not all do it? We're all responsible. So I think the mind feels free from any agitation. However, the solution works only at the conscious level. In fact, by diverting the attention, you push the negativity deep into your unconscious. And there you continue to generate and multiply of all this negativity. On the surface, there is a layer of peace and harmony. But in the depths of the mind, there's that sleeping volcano of suppressed negativity, which sooner or later may erupt in a violent explosion. And I think we've all been there, especially when you've been with your partner and you're going through all this mental torture of your fertility and trying to conceive you always blame the other person as well as yourself. The book also went on to explore even more deeper the inner truth and their search with experiencing the reality of the mind and the matter within ourselves. It recognised that diverting the attention is only running away from the problem Escape is no solution. You have to face the problem. Whenever the negativity arises in the mind, just observe it and face it. And as soon as you start to observe a mental impurity, it begins to lose its strength and slowly it will wither away. So a good solution It avoids both extremes, suppression and expression. Burying the negativity in the unconscious will not eradicate it and allowing it to manifest as unwholesome physical or vocal actions will only create more problems. But if you just observe it, and it will pass away and you will be free of it. So I read that book and all I could think of was it sounds absolutely wonderful but is it really practical? It's not easy to face one's own impurities especially when your anger has arisen it quickly overwhelms us that we don't even notice it but overpowered by anger, we perform physical or vocal actions, which can actually harm others. And then later, when anger has passed, we start crying, and resenting, and repenting, and begging for forgiveness. Saying, that, oh "My goodness, I've made a mistake. Please excuse me. Please excuse me. Oh, please." And then the next time. We're in a similar situation. What do we do? We react in exactly the same way. We continue to repent and it doesn't help us at all. The difficulty is that we are not aware when negativity starts. It begins deep in our unconscious mind and by the time it reaches the conscious level it has gained so much strength That it overwhelms us, and we cannot observe it. I felt the book was very deep, and then I I took it one step further. I contacted the author, and I found out that they did training that you have to go along to on meditation, but it was very disciplined meditation, it was one of India's most ancient meditation techniques. And it was rediscovered more than two and a half thousand years ago. In this particular discipline, it means that seeing things as they really are, it is the process of self purification by self observation. So the entire path that I was going on, Called Dhamma. It's a universal remedy for universal problems. And it's nothing to do with organised religion or sectarianism. It's not a ritual based or blind faith. It was not a rest. It was not a cure. It was not a holiday. And it certainly wasn't an opportunity for socialising. And It's not an escape from the trials and tribulations of everyday life. So what was it? What was it going to do for me? So the technique, I was told, will eradicate my suffering. And it's also a method of mental purification, which will allow one to face their life's tensions and problems in a calm and balanced way. It was an art of living that one can use to make positive contributions to life. So the meditation the aims at the highest of your goals and it wasn't to cure you. It was never simply a cure for any physical disease. Fertility is not a disease but you feel it is a disease because it's not like you got on with your life. However, with this, there was a byproduct of this mental purification, and many psychosomatic diseases are eradicated. In fact, it was to eliminate that these, the three causes of all unhappiness—craving, aversion, and ignorance—with continued practice. After you've been here, the meditation will then release the tension developed in everyday life it will open up these knots tied by the old habit of reacting in an unbalanced way to pleasantness and unpleasant situations so the process of the self purification that's never going to be easy you have to work very hard for it and it's your own efforts and you will arrive at your own realisations no one else can do this for you. Now this process will take over 10 days of your life. To some that might be a long time, to some it's short, but it is certainly a very short time in which to to penetrate the deepest levels of the unconscious mind and learn how to eradicate the complexes that are lying there. There will be techniques, there will be Rules and there'll be regulations and have to be developed in keeping this practice aspect in mind. And if you abide by the rules, it will create a very conducive atmosphere for meditation and breaking them, which pollutes it. So what was uh, you to do? You were to join a course and you were to stay for the entire period of the course. So there was lots of codes of discipline in a sense. All who attended must undertake the following five precepts for the duration of the course. Now these are five and they seem quite quite strange in our modern world. But remember when this was written? You were to one abstain from killing any being. two to abstain from stealing. three to abstain from all sexual activity. Four, to abstain from telling lies. And five, to abstain from all intoxicants. But there's also an additional three. So number six would be to abstain from eating after midday. To abstain from sensual entertainment and bodily decoration. And to abstain from using high or luxurious bed and bedding. So, the number six was abstaining from eating after midday, which meant that you only had tea without any milk. Or you could have fruit juice, which was during the 5pm break. But there was another big part of it. Now remember, this is a 10-day retreat. And I would call number nine, it's noble silence. Silence. All of us must observe noble silence from the beginning of the course until the morning of the last day. What does noble silence mean? That means silence of your body, your speech and your mind. And any form of communication with fellow students, whether by a gesture, sign language, a written note, totally prohibited. So, what you should do is you should know that you're cultivating into yourself that you're feeling that you're working in total isolation. There is also going to be separation of men and women, which means complete separation is to be maintained. Couples, married or otherwise, are not allowed to contact each other in any way during the course. And this also applied to friends or members of, of the same family. Yoga and any physical exercise should be suspended during the course because proper secluded facilities are not available for the course. Also, jogging is not also permitted. But you may exercise during rest periods by walking in the areas which are designated for men and an area for women. So all of your intoxicants and your drugs, so there was no drugs, there was no alcohol, no others to be brought onto the site at all. And this applied to your tranquilizers, sleeping tablets and all other sedatives. If you were on medication or drugs by a doctor's prescription, then you had to obviously notify the head person and that would be discussed with you because obviously they couldn't get you to stop your medication. Tobacco... You weren't also totally to to refrain from any smoking. And they also called it chewing tobacco or taking. It was definitely not permitted. Food. You were to make do with the simple, and I mean simple, vegetarian meal which was provided for you. Your clothing was also to be very simple, very modest and very comfortable. You weren't to wear any tight, revealing Nothing with a, a logo or a brand on it. You're totally bare of that. There would be, for 10 days, there would be no washing machine and there would be no dryers. So you're either to bring sufficient clothing with yourself or you washed and dried your clothes as best as you could. So when you're to get there, you're to remain within the compounds of the area. There was boundaries that you could go up to, but you weren't allowed to any, anywhere near. There was no outside communication allowed at all. So when you arrived, your mobile phone, all electronic devices, laptops, iPads, etc. were all to be deposited into a safe. You weren't allowed to have any music or read or to write. You were not allowed any writing materials because this would distract you by taking notes. And this was to emphasise that strictly practical nature of the meditation. And you're certainly not allowed any tape recorders or cameras. These were never to be used. The timetable, to some this might sound absolutely horrific. You were to rise at four o'clock when there was a warning wake-up bell. At 4.30 to 6.30, you were to meditate either in the hall or in your own room. You were advised the night before what you were to do. At 6.30 to 8, breakfast was served, which was tea without milk, porridge and prunes. 8 o'clock till 9, you had a group that you went with into the meditation in the hall. There was many a times I stood outside in the cold waiting to enter this hall. At nine to eleven a.m., you were to meditate again in the hall or in your room according to your teacher's instructions. And only during this time also could you bathe. So if you wanted a shower or to wash your face, you had to wait between nine and eleven. Eleven o'clock to twelve, we got our lunch. It was a vegetarian stew. This was our last hot meal of the day. After lunch from twelve to one, you're allowed to go and rest in your room or sit outside and then have an interview with your teacher if it was required. You're again at one o'clock to two thirty. You're to meditate back in the hall or in your room. And then at two thirty to three thirty. It was a group meditation. In 3.30 to 5, you're to either go to the hall and meditate again, or you're to walk solitary with your eyes down and walk along a perimeter. At 5 o'clock till 6, there was a tea break and you got a cup of tea without any milk and a piece of fruit. At 6 to 7, you went and you met and you had a group medication in the hall. And At 7 to 8.15, the teacher spoke to you. And then at 8 o'clock to 9, you also had another group meditation. And if there was any questions, you could erase them then after 9 at night. And at 9.30, you were to retire to your room, your solitary room, and lights out. When you hear it all like that, it's quite harsh, and you wonder, can I do it? Well, I I went on the the ten day course. It would either make me or break me. I wouldn't advise it for anyone. My husband drove me at the time down to the area. Are right you down in England? Between England and Wales, it was. And we stayed the night before in a b and lovely, absolutely gorgeous um, B&B, and we went out for a nice meal. We came back to the hotel and straight to bed up early the next morning, and we drove to the venue. We opened the door, and you've seen this big wooden house with lots of other outhouses, Beautiful scenery around your beautiful land. Sun was split in the sky. I think it was the month of February, so the air was still cold. You rang the bell, and they come out to you, and they greet you, lovely. And then you're told to say goodbye to your family and see them in ten days' time. So we said we're goodbyes. And I went with my case, so I had enough clothes to keep me warm, clothes and warm and fresh over the ten days. But you're also to take bedding with you, so I had a pillow, a pillowcase, a single duvet, and a duvet cover, and a warm blanket, along with some fresh towels, etc. for for a shower or a toiletries. So it was really the minimum that you had with you, very basic. I remember giving my husband my, my jewellery as he left. We said we're goodbyes and, as I said, I was on a way in. So I, I locked away my phone, that was my last phone call. I wouldn't have been able to phone anybody. And I get taken to my dormitory. And I had a single room all to myself. We all had single rooms. And there was bare wooden beds in the corner, a thin mattress. There was a small wooden side table and there was an open wooden wardrobe. There was no lock on the door. There was a radiator. So you were to unpack and settle in and then you were to move into the big hall and where everybody was... And you could observe everyone coming and going. And we were all from different areas of the country, of the world. And I'm a people watcher. And you could see that people were very stressed, very ill, all looking for answers. So we used to fill in some forums and you handed them in, you went up to your registration, you got your number, and that was you. You are just a number, you're not a name of any clinical. And you're allowed to have a cup of tea and have some biscuits for you. And then nighttime came, and you were told to go into a big hall and lots of mats all over the floor for you to sit at, and you are to cross your legs, go into a nice position, and close your eyes and start to meditate. I think that would have been hard for some people just to to sit there because we're all so used to being on the go that we don't sit around doing nothing. So at times you were feeling cold because you were just sitting there and you had to wrap yourself up in nice warm blankets that they gave you. And then there was a bell and you were told that that was to go back to your room, be there for the night and when the bell outside dawned That was you to get up and you were to go into the the meditation hall. I had a sleepless night that night. I didn't like it. It was strange because you're out in the middle of darkness and the lights went out in your room and in the dormitories. There was communal toilets so if you wanted the bathroom through the night you had to have your torch and you had to get there. Everything was just so strange is eerily quiet. A lot of the time you just sat in your room, wondering, why am I here? What am I doing? I really didn't know. Because nobody spoke. The reason for the ten-day silent retreat. So this shows you that it was hard. And when you were out and about for the few days you were just walking around aimlessly doing your meditation and it's supposed to clear your mind I'm not actually quite sure if it did clear my mind it was supposed to last 10 days but I left after 4 I will do another podcast on what it really was like for me and why I left it'll not be very long, it'll be short I will let you know. So, thank you for tuning into to this podcast. A bit of a strange one. And the next one will be, if you want to know more about it, I'll let you know. I wouldn't recommend it. It does push you. And it can push you over the edge. But it can give you good results as well. So take care, everyone. And I'll speak soon. Remember, if you like to leave a review and see what you can think of. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to IVF Before and After on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. Head over to the Facebook community page IVF Before and After or to the website www.ivfbeforeandafter.com for fantastic free stuff.